Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you. The song Ashland Christian just uh, performed for you was written in 1938, 86 years ago. Two years later, 1940, Harry and Leonard and his Rockets recorded it. It was received well, got some airtime, but it wasn't until 1941 when Horace Height and his Musical Nights recorded it, and it soared to number one on the pop charts. It reached number four again on the same charts in 1941 when the famous group The Ink Spots released their version. The song and lyrics struck a chord in the hearts of millions of Americans. Why do you think that's true? Well, think about what was happening around the world in 1941. Germany was making an attempt at world domination under the tyranny of Adolf Hitler. England was being attacked day after day. The empire of Japan was expanding in the Pacific, and then the U.S. had entered World War II following the vicious and unprovoked attack on Pearl Harbor. The lyrics and melody of the song brought solace and peace to people throughout our nation who were filled with uncertainty and um, fear and doubt and worry. It speaks of love, devotion, and a feeling of calmness when everybody was scurrying to make sense of what was happening everywhere. It felt at that time as if the entire world was on fire. And the song says what many people were thinking. I don't want to burn everything down. I don't want to demolish everything. I don't want to be destructive. I, I just want to start a flame in you, a flame of love, devotion, commitment, loyalty, romance. And that's what this series is about. You know, when I watch the news, which I rarely do anymore, when I listen to discussions around politics or religion or the state of our union, I sense uncertainty, insecurity, a restlessness, a distrust with where our leadership is taking us, and for good reasons. I mean, if one listens to the new, you know, this particular news channel, then it's those people over there who are the problem. They are corrupt and hypocritical. Then if one listens to this other news channel, then it's those people over there who are the problem. They are hypocritical and corrupt. One hour of watching news provides a hundred things of which you need to be fearful and worried. Our economy is uncertain. It gains strength, loses strengths. Pundits are waiting to look through Epstein's flight list to prove that the other party is more perverted than their party. We have Ukraine and Russia in a war. North Korea is always a threat. Israel, Hamas, and Palestine. Then there's the confusion at the southern border. Think about it. Everything costs more today than it did yesterday. People are confused about our former president and our current president, and our Ivy League institutions are being questioned. Then there's Supreme Court and the decisions they make. And don't even let me get started on the mess within churches. There's a lot of anxiety, uncertainty, frustration, and confusion floating around. Few people seem to experience lasting peace. And this series is designed not to settle the question as to who is right or which side is more righteous or which policies are better for our nation. What I'm concerned about and will address throughout the next few weeks is the emotional and spiritual tax worry and stress place on you. Listen to me very carefully. Deep worry and persistent stress scream at us. Scream
scream at us and say to us, God is not in control. You are a victim. Life is spinning out of order and there's little you can do about it. Hey, dark days are ahead. There is fear in your future. Deep and persistent worry is like a drug, a dangerous and devastating drug, but it is a drug nevertheless. And listen very carefully, the professional media entertainment, the purveyors of this drug, provide this poison because worry and fear accomplish their agenda. What is their agenda? To hook an audience, to create addicts, consumers of the product, to provide money to the drug dealers. Do you see this? 24-hour media coverage and talk shows do not exist because they care about you and want to help you to know what's going on around your world. That's like saying the drug dealers in our city are there because they want to help people feel better. The suppliers of fear and worry compete for the most concentrated and potent worry. Which channel can create the purest amount of worry and stress and fear? And you need to know worry, stress, and fear are never called worry, stress, and fear. They are cloaked with street names, just like cocaine was called blue magic. Worry, stress, and fear are called truth. Because if my news station or my book or my interview can provide you with real truth, then you will tune in to my real truth because nobody wants to be left out. And there's another layer to this. The spreaders of worry subtly convince us in the middle of all the drug dealing that we have the ability to change the pain by doing at least two things, tuning into their programs and voting for their candidates, supporting their causes, agreeing with their positions, it's a great system for them. They not only create the disease, they also create and offer the cure. It's a false religion. Do you see this? You, you can stop the pain and the bad things and the horrible predictions that we've provided, by the way, if you worship our candidate, give into our policy, submit to our agendas. And churches do not think they're outside of it. Churches do the exact same thing, but that, that's another sermon for another time. Let, let me show you what Jesus said a long time ago before CNN, before Fox News, before MSNBC, before Donald Trump, before Joe Biden, before Jeffrey Epstein. Let me just l listen to what Jesus actually said about this world. He said, in this world, you have distress. That means trials. That means affliction. That means trouble. That means pressure. Depends on which translation of that verse you read. In this world, in this world, in this world, we will have distress. We will have trials. We will have trouble. We will have pressure. Neither you nor I nor our favorite party nor candidate nor favorite judge nor whatever are able to prevent distress, trials, affliction, or trouble from happening. Trouble, distress, trials, disappointments, and pressures are here to stay. Yes, who we vote for matters. Yes, the policies we pass matter. Yes, things can get worse. Yes, things can get better. But during the five decades I've lived, it has been one distress and trouble after another. We've been on the brink of world disaster every single decade I can remember. Each election, most important election that has ever, ever happened, this one, 
Every Supreme Court ruling was crucial. Whether we, we, we were living on the edge of global warming beyond turning back, and then, you know, then an ice age, and then acid rain, and then we were on the brink of communism slowly taking over, and then you know, Big Brother was watching, and then they're coming for our guns, and then they're destroying our family, and we're on the brink of World War III. It's going to break out at any moment. Oh, no, forget all that. An asteroid's going to hit us. And as I said, the church is not much different. What do you mean? Well, throughout my life, I've been warned over and over and over and over again ever since I was a little kid sitting in a pew that I can barely even remember that time at four or five years of age. I was always warned about the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and the rise of the one world government. And I was to fight against this group of people or that president or refuse to support that Supreme Court judge or we were facing another Holocaust or witchcraft was slipping in or Satanism was getting into our churches or you got to fight the liberal church down the street because they're going to destroy everything. Do you not see a parallel? Fear, worry, fear, worry, fear, worry, fear, worry, whether you're sitting at home watching a church called MSNBC, Fox News, CNN, or you're actually sitting in a church with a steeple on top. It's false religion. You with me? Good. And sometimes you might think that the only answer is to strike a match and burn the whole thing down and start over. I get that feeling. But I want you to look at what Jesus says next because that is not the only thing he says. He says, in this world, in this world, in this world, you will have trouble, <laughs> but be encouraged. <laughs> what? In the middle of all this, be encouraged. Another translation says, take heart. Lift up your heart. And remember, you got to remember this. The people to whom Jesus said this were dealing with grim circumstances. They were under the tyranny of Rome. They were being squeezed on every side. They had high taxes, corrupt politicians, poisonous religion. And Jesus said this just before he himself was arrested, tried, and crucified. He says, be encouraged. Now, why in the world should we be encouraged? How can we be encouraged? Because listen to what he says. I have conquered the world. Another translation says, I have overcome the world. This is the good news. Jesus is saying here, you can have courage because I faced your enemy and I defeated it. He is not saying, I defeated the enemy, and you can too. He is not saying, I believe in you, you can do it, because that would not encourage me. Jesus is saying this. I understand you have reasons to be afraid. Anybody with open eyes and open mind, anybody who's halfway perceptive knows that there are reasons to be afraid. I know you have reasons to be disappointed and frustrated, but be encouraged. Because I entered the ring with your enemy, everything you have to fear, and I completely and utterly annihilated it. Your enemy is conquered. Now, I know what some of us are thinking when we read those words from Jesus. Probably some of the things that the disciples were thinking when he said it first. Uh, Jesus, excuse me, question, comment, yes. I don't want to be rude or disrespectful, but the world doesn't look too conquered to me. I mean, we got a lot of issues. I mean, not only the ones mentioned earlier, but we got drugs and mass shootings and abuse and racism and greed and on and on it goes. I got to be really honest. I think you got some more conquering to do. 
To which Jesus might reply, oh, you, you think the world I conquered is the world you see around you. You, you, you think I mean the Republicans and Democrats. You think I mean Washington, D.C. or North Korea. You think I'm talking about Russia or Hamas. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about the corrupt systems of the world around you. You will always have those. I'm talking about the systems of the world within you. When I, when I say I've conquered the world, I don't mean the kings who sit on the thrones throughout the kingdoms of this world. I'll take care of that one day. Right now, I mean the kings who sit on the thrones of your minds and hearts. Let me, let me show you why I say that, okay? Let's, let's back up and see why Jesus says what he says in verse 33. Because there's a reason he says, hey, be encouraged. You're always going to have problems, but I've overcome the world. And you need to keep in mind, in the book of John, this is the last speech Jesus gives before his arrest. John 16, beginning at verse 25. It's going to get a little thick in here, but then you're going to see how it's all connected. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Last speech he gives before his arrest in John. I've been using figures of speech with you. This is Jesus talking. The time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in such analogies. Instead, I will tell you plainly about the Father, and in that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. And what does that mean? In other words, there's going to come a day when you don't need me to intervene between you and Father God. You will be able to speak to him directly. That's what he's saying. Then in verse 27, the Father himself loves you. You have loved me, and I believe and believe that I came from God. Verse 28, I left the Father and came into the world. I tell you again, I am leaving the world and returning to the Father. So Jesus is really clear about this process that he's going through. Now listen to how the disciples respond. His disciples said, see, now you speak plainly. You aren't using figures of speech. In other words, you aren't giving it all of us in parables. You're making it very clear. Now we know that you know everything and you don't need anyone to ask you because of this. We believe you have come from God. And Jesus replied, now you believe. Like after all this time, after all these three and a half years, right before he's arrested and crucified, Jesus says, now you believe. Look, Jesus says, a time is coming and is here, right here. It's right now when each of you will be scattered to your own homes and you will leave me alone. Now, why would they scatter? Why would each go to his or her own home? Why would they leave Jesus alone? Fear. He is predicting how they will respond when he is arrested, tried, and crucified. In just a few hours from this very speech, they ran. In just a few hours, when Jesus wraps this little speech up, they scatter, they hide in their homes, they abandon him, and they leave him all alone. This is why Jesus says the very next line, I'm not really alone. You're going to leave me alone. You're going to hide in your homes. But here's the truth. I know I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you so that you will have what? Peace in the middle of your fear. Peace in me. Said what? That the Father is with me, that I'm not alone. From that, he says, in this world, you will have distress. But be encouraged. 
I've conquered the world. In other words, I have entered the fear that you're getting ready to go into. See, right now you're confident. You're standing here listening to me. I'm teaching you plainly. Oh, yeah, we believe in you. This is awesome. You're not giving us parables anymore. You're very clear. Now we know that you've come from God. And Jesus is like, hold up. In in just a few hours, you're going to be filled with fear. In just a few hours, you're going to run and hide. In just a few hours, you're going to abandon me and leave me alone. But you know what? It's okay. I have entered into that fear. I have conquered it. And because I've conquered it, even though you are afraid, you can conquer it too because of what I've done. So why be encouraged? Because the enemy that caused them to scatter, Jesus faced and defeated. He entered into our world, the world within, our sin, our shame, our violence, our hatred, our filth, our internal worlds, and he conquered it. Couple examples during the wilderness. Remember the wilderness when Jesus went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and he was tempted in the wilderness? What did he do? He conquered the world within through the temptations. During the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying, and what did he say at the end of that prayer? Not my will, but yours be done. He surrendered himself. He conquered the enemy that is within us, that, willing, that unwillingness to do what God wants us to do. That's the world he overcame, and that's the world. That gives us problems anyway, isn't it? It's the internal world, not really the outside world. What do you mean? Well, it's not really your lack of money that's your problem. We fight as if it's a lack of money that is our problems, but often it's not a lack of money that's our problem. It's a lack of contentment and management of what we already have. That's internal. It's not really the person at work that is your problem. Often it's a lack of love and patience with people who are different than you. It's not really external, it's internal. It's often not your wife or your husband that is your main problem. Often it is the unwillingness to become a better spouse and to love better. It's not really external, it's internal. It's not really a hundred other things on the outside. It's a hundred other things on the inside. That's the world Jesus conquered, the world inside us, the one that causes us to fear and scatter and run and hide. And that's why we don't have to set the world on fire on the outside, but set a flame in your heart on the inside. But let's get real. That's a lot of abstract, philosophical mumbo-jumbo to some of you. Let's just get real. What happened to the disciples after Jesus reassured them that he conquered the world? What happens to them when he's finished with this great speech and he's arrested? What happens? They scatter. They run. They hide. Why? Fear. Even though he told them to be encouraged, they run. Even though he told them that he overcame the world, they ran. Even though he said, I am not alone because the Father is with me, they're afraid for their lives. Even though he said, now, even though they said, now we know that you came from God, they still run and hide as if he was just another defeated Messiah-like person. They scattered because they were afraid. No different than Peter. If you remember the story of Peter in the storm when he's walking on the water, One minute he's walking on the water, next minute he's drowning. They have faith in Christ when he's given the speech, they run and hide when he's arrested. You walk on water one minute, you're drowning the next. Anybody identify with that? Anybody have a wonderful Sunday and a terrible Monday? 
Anybody have an awesome Wednesday and a terrible Thursday? Anybody filled with faith on Friday and you're not even really sure that there is a God on Saturday? Oh, you don't want to say yes to that one, do you? Yeah, I don't don't want to say that. That's a little much. Okay. It's what we do, isn't it? When we hear bad news, we come out of church, we're filled with faith. It's amazing. Let's conquer the world. Jesus is on the throne. He's got it all. You know, he's got the whole world in his hands, whatever. And then we watch news reports about war, and what are we? Afraid. We sing the song here. There's going to be a victory. We're going to see a victory. We're like, yes, we're going to see a victory. And then we get home, we get a little fever. Oh, my, I'm dying. We have trouble in our marriages when we have a bad report from the doctor. When we wake up depressed, we scatter, we run, we hide. Because even though Jesus conquered the world within us, he did it. We aren't living it out. We aren't in step with what's true. You see, our reality is different than our experience. Now, it's going to get a little deep in here for just a moment. When I say it's going to get a little deep, I mean we're going to get a little deep in truth, not it's going to get deep, you better put your boots on. That's two different kinds of deep. Most of us are living far, 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 far below our reality, what's true about us. In other words, we're farther down the road than we actually think we are. And we live back here when we should be living over here. Let me give you this example. Look at Peter again. As most of you know, Peter denied Jesus three times. What's fascinating is Jesus predicted Peter's denial, but Peter didn't believe him. Peter, you're going to deny me. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, no, not me. Everybody else might, but not me. No, you're going to deny me. No, I won't deny you. He he didn't believe him. And Jesus predicted Peter's restoration. You're going to fall, but I've prayed for you that you will be restored. And Peter must have forgotten that because he was deeply broken after he denied Christ, went out and wept bitterly and didn't believe that Jesus was going to restore him. He didn't even want to be around Jesus. He was so embarrassed and so humiliated. So Peter didn't know how weak he was, and Peter didn't know how strong he was. Peter was self-ignorant on both ends. He didn't understand his weaknesses, and he didn't understand his strengths. Same thing with so many of us. Our experiences is often far behind what's true. You are better, stronger, more courageous, more resilient than you're actually living. You are farther down the road than you actually think. When Jesus writes the book of, I mean, when Paul writes the book of 1 Corinthians and he talks about the Christians in, in the city of Corinth, he, he, he just nails them. You, you, you got this issue, you got that issue, you got this issue, you got that issue, but you are holy, you are loved, you are a child of God. All of that's true at the same time. Your reality is much further down the road than what you actually experience. That's another, we'll get into that another time. Here's a practical question. How do we keep the words of Jesus, be encouraged, I have overcome the world, I have conquered the world. How do we keep those things in focus when we're watching the news? How do we keep that in focus when we get a bad doctor's report? How do we keep that in focus when we just had a big argument with our husband or wife? How do we keep that in focus when our kids are just going crazy? How do we keep that in focus when we feel depression or we feel anxiety swirling around us? How do we keep, I have overcome the world, I have overcome the world. How do we keep that in focus? Let me give you three thoughts, okay? First, find and focus on what is secure when you feel insecure. Best way I know to illustrate that, 
when a ship is in trouble, maybe caught up in a storm, maybe the navigational instruments are down. If the captain of the ship is unable to know which way to go or how far he or she is out to sea, if the captain can locate a lighthouse or a building on the shore, a landmark somewhere that is secure, no matter how far in the distance that lighthouse or that thing is on the shore, an immovable object, if it can be located, then the captain knows how to head for land. The lighthouse or building or landmark serve as a navigational tool to get them to safety. Truth serves as an immovable navigational tool for you. When your life is upside down, inside out, you are being tossed and turned in every way. Find the immovable truth. Find what is secure and focus on that no matter how far out you are. In the years following the crucifixion and resurrection and departure of Christ, the apostles focused on his words. They focused on his miracles. They focused on his promises. They focused on his teachings. When their world became difficult and tumultuous and threatening, they gathered themselves together and they reminded one another of what was unmovable. It's one of the reasons why they recorded the teachings and the events of the life of Jesus because they knew if they put it all down, it would serve as a navigation tool to keep them focused when everything in life is upside down. In just a few moments, we're going to receive communion. It serves as a navigational tool. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this as often as you do it. Do this to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes because we all need something to get us back to the center. In the midst of a very confusing and stormy world, so open scripture, listen to messages, discuss truths among yourself, focus on what is immovable, secure, and permanent when you feel insecure. That's the first thing. The second thing is practice the behaviors today that reflect the person you want to be tomorrow. Listen carefully. Do not settle for an anxious mind. Refuse to allow anxiety and worry and doubt and fear to be normal for you. Most people struggle with some level of anxiety, and you, you can be productive, and you can live a healthy life even with bouts of anxiety, but excessive anxiety, excessive fear, excessive worry, excessive uh, losing kind of your bearings, if you leave it unaddressed and you don't deal with it, untreated worry can lead to unhealthy mental presence, mental illness, eventually. And too many of us treat our worries and fears with things that ultimately damage us or make it worse. We self-medicate with things that only temporarily make us feel good and leave us in a worse state than before. Don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts. Focus your thoughts, that's finding that place again, that finding that immovable thing. Focus your thoughts on these things. And he gives you examples. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. That's what you focus on. Practice, he says. 
practice these things. What things? Whatever you learned, received, heard, and saw in us. And the God of what? Peace. That's what you want, right? And the God of peace will be with you. Focus your thoughts on what's healthy, not what's easy. Practice the behaviors today that reflect the person you want to be tomorrow. I want to be a man of peace. I want to be a woman of peace. I want to be a man of truth. I want to be a woman of truth. I want to be a man of, of faithfulness and loyalty and honesty. Practice those behaviors now. Number three, consistent, consistent, consistent prayer with thanksgiving. Back to Philippians 4 again. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God and your, what? Prayers and petitions along with giving thanks. Then the what? There it is again. The peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. Listen very carefully. Maybe a real quick kind of teaching on prayer here. Prayer does not change God. Prayer does not inform God as if he doesn't know when you tell him. And he's like, thank you, I missed that. Okay, prayer doesn't inform him. Prayer doesn't alter God in the sense that, you know, hmm, well, that was a really good prayer, you're right. I'm gonna change, you know, change my mind now. No, 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 prayer changes, informs, and alters you. How? How does prayer change me? How does it inform me? How does it alter me? Three things real quick and we're done. Prayer refocuses our direction. When you spend time in prayer and meditation, you begin to see your problems, challenges, concerns, fears, and people from a higher viewpoint. Prayer elevates your perspective. You ever boarded a plane on a cloudy, rainy day and then the plane takes off and you cut through the clouds and you rise to a higher altitude above all the storm, above the lightning, above the wind, whatever it is, above the rain. And when you're there, the sun is shining, the weather is beautiful, and the things below seem so small, insignificant, temporary, and you realize the clouds and the rain below that you were experiencing a few minutes ago were only in your little area, in your sphere, in your world, not the whole world, and you see it differently, there's much more going on than you thought, that's prayer. That's meditation. It shifts your perspective to a much higher viewpoint. Number two, prayer recenters our direction. When you engage in consistent prayer, you are slowly realigned. It recenters you. It's similar to a car getting realigned. The natural wear and tear on tires, the bumps and potholes, the thousands of miles cause the tires to wear unevenly and can throw the alignment off, causing the car or truck to pull to one side. Prayer and meditation helps realign you. It helps recenter you so that you can walk correctly in life. That's what prayer does. And three, prayer rearranges our priorities. The natural result of refocused perspectives and recentered direction is our priorities get rearranged, moved around. When your perspective is thin 
and temporary and your direction pulls to one side or the other, you naturally think what is immediate and what is pleasurable is most important. But when your perspective is high and your direction is aligned, you realize what really matters is beyond what you see and feel. What matters most is eternal. What matters most is love and care and generosity and servanthood and character formation and faithfulness. That's what prayer does. That's how prayer changes you, informs you, and alters you. And all of a sudden, when you're changed and informed and altered, God looks as if he changed. It's not that he changed. It's that you changed. And now all of a sudden, people look different. And the world looks different. And God looks different, and his word looks different, and church looks different, and the news looks different. Everything looks different because it has altered who you are and how you see everything. One of our First Impressions team members, you guys are in here somewhere. We have a a little keychain that we've made for you. Someone in our church, Matt, made these. And there, Andy, somebody help me with I'm not sure where the First Impressions team members are right now. But we have a basket filled with the little keychains, and they're going to pass those out and give you one. And this is something that we want to give to you as a little gift, something for you to think through this entire series, and it's for you to keep. It's for you to use. So they're going to pass them out. While they're doing that, just take one as it comes along. We're not asking you to give us anything. We did that earlier, Okay. We're actually giving you something now, okay? Here's, here's kind of this whole message in about 30 seconds, okay? Burning the world down won't help. Realize in this world, you will have trouble. That's part of life. But you can be encouraged because Jesus entered into the very things that make us afraid, and he defeated our enemies. But you're going to need to fight to keep that perspective. How do you fight to keep that perspective? By focusing on what is immovable, by practicing the behaviors today that reflect the person you want to be tomorrow, and by practicing consistent prayer with thanksgiving. As you do that, your entire perspective shifts, changes, you are altered, you are made new. That little keychain there is kind of the logo of this series. We want to give it to you to slip it onto your keychain or whatever, or put it somewhere that you want to keep it and remind yourself when the world feels as if it's on fire, when everything around you feels as if it's burning. The truths that you will learn in this series can be applied to your life and lived out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth today. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for your word that comes in the moments that we need it most, and it's there. Father, as Christ told his disciples in that moment, that in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Father, let that truth sink deep within our souls, and let it be a seed that plants down inside and produces fruit, the fruit of peace and joy and long-suffering and love and care and compassion. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence. Thank you 
for all that you have done in us and will do through us throughout this series and throughout this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before we go today, we're going to receive communion together. And if you are newer to Forest Park and you may not know how this kind of works here, it's very simple. You don't have to be a member of Forest Park. You don't have to give a certain amount of money to Forest Park. You don't have to sign anything. This is open communion, meaning that we want you to participate if you so choose to. And in just a moment, I'm going to walk over to the side of the stage. And when I do, you are free to get up from where you are and go back to a table that is back here to my right or back here to my left. And we have the juice and the bread there. And if you will take it and bring it back to your seat, then when everyone's finished, I'll come out and lead us through receiving communion together. If you say, well, you know, I, I don't know that I want to participate. Do I have to? No, you certainly don't. This is an opportunity for all of us to worship and reflect and that navigational tool that I talked about to remind us of what it's about. That's what this is, all right? So I want you to just feel free to participate. Come. Those of you who've done it many times, you just kind of, and those who are newer will just kind of follow along in suit. Come back to your seat and I'll come out in about two minutes or so and lead us through this. You're welcome to go now. If you will, please take the uh, bread in your hand, and this represents the body of Christ. Let me pray over this moment. Father, as we, as we sit in this room, as we stand in this room, we are in your presence. Your word instructs us that when the body of Christ, the people that make up the church come together, that we are to receive this bread and this juice in a, in a moment of reflection, in a moment of worship, in a moment of thanksgiving for what you have done for us. 
For this bread represents the body of your son Jesus given for us. By his stripes we are healed, is what your word says. And that healing is not just physical. It's in every area of our life. Mental healing, um, spiritual healing, relational healing, on and on it goes. It is complete, total, and whole. Father, thank you that we can come together and we can remember and reflect and proclaim what you have done through this simple act that serves as a navigational tool that keeps us focused on what is true in a world that tries its best to make us afraid. Thank you for this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take the bread together, please. And then take the cup in your hand, please. Father, this represents the blood of your son Jesus poured out for us. In his blood, there is everything. There is life when we feel dead. There is healing when we are sick. There is forgiveness when we have sinned. Everything we need, we find the life that is in the blood of your son Jesus. And Father, we partake together to remember, to reflect, and to worship you. We thank you for your presence that is here right now and your word that is true and life-changing. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may take together. Father, I pray for every person here, Lord, also watching at home, those who are coming into the next service, thank you for your truth today. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for your love and your grace that is abundant. Go with every single person. Strengthen them. Help them this week to put these words of truth into practice in their life, that their lives may reflect you, reflect your joy, reflect your peace, reflect your calmness in the middle of a very stormy world in which we live. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Oh, sorry. I'm also your host. Okay. <laughs> if, you are, if you are new today, uh, we'd love to know that you are here for the very first time. We have a new here gift we'd like to give to you. If you go by the table on your way out, there's information center to your left. Just stop by there. We've got a gift that we will give you. Drop off the little white card that you see in front of you or behind you, or you can fill it out on your phone. It literally takes 30 seconds, fplive.org forward slash connect. And uh, we want to know you're here. We just want to say thank you for coming, kind of get to know you a little bit, answer questions that you may have. So please take a moment and let us know you were here. We've got a wonderful gift we want to give you to say thank you. Also, tonight is our student ministry next. We'd love to have uh, kids, uh, sixth grade through 12th grade, a part of that. Parents, if you're new to Forest Park, you've got high school students, middle school students. This is a great opportunity for them to connect, get to know some people in the church, and get them involved. Also, our 21 days of prayer and fasting begins tomorrow. Those of you are participating in that. You're going to receive a devotion, a video devotion for that. You can follow along. We have different people who are going to be offering devotions throughout this 21 days. We have some people here at Forest Park. We actually have some guests outside of Forest Park who's going to do it this year. So we're really excited about that as well. So if you're participating in that, if you want more information about it, you can go to the Information Center. We've got a packet there that explains everything about prayer and fasting, what it's about, different types of fasts you can do, scriptures there that you can follow along. Everything you need to know is there, okay? Thank you so much for being with us today. Have an incredible day.